Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends or your family and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, J.D. Ferreira, is the co-founder and master instructor for her business, Skating Success, Inc. She is a national certified coach and international choreographer, dry land training program coordinator, and mental performance coach. Since 2002, Jadine has built a world-class reputation and brand as one of North America's most in-demand coaches. In today's modern world, choreography is not only an in-person experience any longer, but a virtual virtual one as well. In a world of restrictions, social distancing, and lockdowns, Jadine has pivoted her business like no other by supporting her clients virtually across the nation and around the world. Years of dance training combined with her experience as a competitive skater provides a broad range of skills to draw from when creating her visually mesmerizing and what she refers to as artistry in motion. An intentional leader, she is a remarkable remarkable individual who has the ability to support and mentor her clients. Join me as Jadine shares her lessons learned and insights gained in the world of sport and in life. Listen in, enjoy. Jadine Ferreira, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. So nice to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me. It is amazing and great to be here. I was just thinking this is very like Joe Rogan style. Oh gosh, being compared. Well, that's because you're in studio, you're poolside studio. So that's awesome. It is awesome. Thank you for having me on. Okay. So we're going to kick off like I always do. Uh, Give our audience some insights into 
Who is Jadine Ferreira? What do you do? So let's start there. It's like, you know, that's the first thing we, I'm not saying it's right, but it's the first thing we always ask people. We identify with them. So what do you do? You know, anyways, that's a whole different, already I'm going down a rabbit hole. I love it. <laughs> okay, go. So I love it. Jadine, what do you do? Well, I think it's more fair to ask what I don't do because I do so many different varieties of things, but they always come back to the same thing. Art. Um, authentic empowerment for others. So I do that through a few different domains. I do that online. I'm a trained figure skating choreographer and master coach. I run Skating Success, which is the iteration and business around high performance for coaches, for skaters, um, figure skaters specifically, and of course, their support systems and teams, parents. I also am a real estate investor. I have been for many years now and grateful to be in that space as well. But I think the key to everything I do is that I love to connect with people and light them up and help them see their best selves. Beautiful. Now, you and I go back a long way because uh, of my background in the retail stores that I've owned in Edmonton for 37 years. Holy crap, that's a long time. When you were uh, very young and a skater back then, and of course, uh, our paths have crossed and continue to cross. And uh, I've watched your evolution and you've, uh, the game you play in, in the world of skating was, you know, to your point around the word iteration, which is kind of interesting because your entrepreneurial spirit in terms of the development of your business called Skating Success and real estate and all the rest of it was really built off of how, what am I going to bring to the world of skating? That's where it kind of started. That's, you know, really outside of the scope of what skating is all about today. Is that a fair statement? That's kind of like you got really creative and going, how can I serve skaters? Because I really want to talk a little bit about kids, not skating specific, but I want to talk about your work with kids. Mm -hmm. And then um, and then you build a business around it. Yeah, this all started in a really cool way because um, growing up in skating, I had no idea that the choreography side of it and the artistic side could be an actual job or an, or any kind of way to make a living. And I I was asked to do some choreography and I literally didn't take them seriously. I didn't even think that I was going to get paid. And once I discovered that that was a very high value for people, I started asking why. Why was this important? And what I discovered, and yeah, to your point earlier, I'm very entrepreneurial. I always think of solutions for clients, solutions for clients. What's their experience? And I started to see the value of individuals being seen for who they could potentially become. And that's really what I ran with and started to see the whole scope of skating as a vehicle for empowerment. Um, when I first started, I was in a, a psychology degree over at York University in Toronto and was really surrounded by incredible minds. But I was really frustrated by the lack of application. There was you know, no way to really take the cool things I was learning in university and pulled them into the real world until I married that with skating and saw that empowering young skaters, giving them mindset tools and pulling that into the ice in real time gave them the opportunity to step up, to compete, to win and be themselves and not have to change who they were. And so that really helped me to see skating as that vehicle for personal development, which is where Skating Success was born. I wanted to share that idea throughout the sport and actually if if I'm totally honest, I wanted to shift the the mentality around skating being sometimes a place where people 
lose themselves or have, you know, situations where they uh, hate their bodies or they become, you know, they reject themselves. I wanted to flip that script and say, no, you can still love something and it, and it can become a place of healing and growth and empowerment. Well, that's interesting, you know, because of when we look at, we're talking about skating in this context, but it's really about sport, minor sport, particularly. And even as it evolves into, well, less in the professional world, but, you know, you go through that journey of playing, you know, amateur sport and whether in this case it's skating, it could be hockey, it could be swimming, it could be, I don't know, football or soccer, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's really for, you know, these kids to evolve and develop. I, th I wish parents would understand. Sometimes I, I, I've, I've observed that, uh, Parents don't really understand it. it's about their kids' development. You know, the chances of making a living in a sport at a professional level are so, so slim. I mean, they're really rare that it happens, and when it does, it's awesome. But, you know, that's not the majority by any stretch of the imagination. It is a minuscule part of it. But to your point, it really is about the development of kids. I use, I often use a sport analogy because it, it to me, it kind of, runs parallel to how we show up in business and what we do in business or even what we do in career. So I know that's kind of a off on a tangent of things, but you were really taking it and looking at it from how do I have the skaters slash the kids really take skating and evolve and use it as a development tool and you supporting them in that context is, have I rephrased any of that in a way that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I think you know, it's it's an interesting concept that I actually learned from real estate investing that I think of for parents who are investing in their children. So the term is ROI, return on investment. And what I explain to parents when we meet and when I first take on their students or I work with them is that you're not just getting a physical investment return. It's not just an axle the skater is learning or a piece of choreography. They're learning discipline. They're learning connection to their body, their mind, their spirit. They're learning how to be a good sportsman or sports human, let's say. They're learning how to show up on time, how to get up when they fall. The, the actual literal get up after you fall is something that is just baked into the sport mm. and you can't take it away. And you can't pay it away. You can't skip it. You can't skip over the learning curve of it. And it's incredible to see young humans become resilient, emotionally capable, and expressive. And, and you know, a really cool sidebar to that is there's it's technology-free. I mean, we use technology to teach, but the interface is, you know, it's eye-to-eye. -eye. Even if it's through Zoom, let's say, there's a real connection human to human, and that's part of their development that's just baked in. So the ROI, the return on investment for parents trying to have their young people be leaders in their own future is just infinite. So I think that's such an interesting thought process that you pointed out, which is kids, you know, learning to fall and get back up again. You know, number one, learning to fall because you in the world of skating you do have to learn how to fall or you're going to get hurt more often than you want to <laughs> talk about right yeah and then getting back up again and but it's built in to your point it's built into many sports skating ultimately because you're trying ridiculous things where you're going to get airborne and then having to land on this really you know thin edge and you're going to fall. It's probably going to bruise you, could hurt you, but then you got to get back up again. So do you think, because you've been around the sport long enough to know that, or long enough to see, 
does that serve these kids when they become young adults? Have you, do you think that there is a place for that in just people's psyche overall? Because if you get into a career, you get into a business, it's going to get messed up. You're going to fail. You're going to have falls. And do you think that training that you just described as a kid, does it serve you later on, do you think? <laughs> I think it's, I think it's one of the key things that has driven my own personal success. I had gotten up in business 50 times before I even questioned what I was doing in business. People came, you know, came to me at university and said, well, what do you mean you're running your own business? And I, it, it was, it was so second nature to try and fail and try and fail and reiterate and create. Uh, still to this day, I laugh, you know, I'll, I'll open up, you know, a, a file on my computer and it's like, okay, trial number 76 this month. It just is, it's, it's part of my process. I trust it. In fact, I trust the fall down, the get up, the fall down, the get up. And to your point about young people stepping into the world when they become young adults, you know, I, I have sat down many a skating dad and explained to them that, you know, when your kid at 12 stands in the middle of an arena, 360 degree audience, there's nowhere to hide. And technically the costuming is like limited. I mean, you're half naked (laughs) and then you fall down and not, and today you don't only get up. All of the stuff is live streamed. It's online. It's, there's literally nowhere to hide. And I asked that dad, you think your kid's going to have a problem applying for a job or standing, you know, in front of a class university? The first thought is I'm wearing pants at least. (laughs) I've got my clothes on. Like it honestly, I remember that feeling like, well, at least I'm, you know, not Uh, half naked out here. That's funny. Well, it is interesting, right? Because uh, I love that kind of whole analogy and the, the comparison because, there is a fundamental is that not only is it learning to fall and get back up, this is oh so, so true, is that many people, and to your point, 360, you know, you're in the middle of the ice, you got all these people watching you, you know, and live stream, all the stuff that goes on, cameras, all the rest of it, there is no place to hide. That's gotta be a level of conditioning that plays into life and you can't help it because now that's just normal. I mean, no skater, no skater and and many athletes, but let's just use continue with skating. No skater is going to go out and try a jump and not expect to fall. Yeah. You know, because you, you've got to go through the failing to actually get to the point where you land it because there's, there's muscle memory, there's, you know, breaking it down by nanoseconds of what your body, where it is in the air, the flight, all the rest of it. So I I guess it's just a really cool metaphor for life. You know, you're going to have to be uh, exposed and you're going to have to detach from falling down. It can piss you off, but it can't be because you're embarrassed by somebody watching you fall down. Well, let's let's talk about that. I'll yeah, give you let's the talk best about that. I'll give you the best example of being embarrassed falling down. And in our sport, it's not cool to show that embarrassment. That's the other piece. You've got to get up and look gorgeous the next second. But I remember being in a competition, no word of lie, 17 years old. We all know how people feel at 17. They are looking around and seeing who's watching. And I was skating down the ice, my music's going, I'm having fun and I all of a sudden notice that there is a group of young men good looking young men all happen to be watching me kind of from the same angle. And no matter how quick that thought went into my brain, I tripped on my jump. I fell and literally, (laughs) 
sliding into the boards, legs in the air. And I look up and they're, they're now uh, huddled around the rink and looking at the embarrassment that I was having. Hmm. And, you know, I mean, in that moment, I'm sure I was red in the face. I'm sure I was embarrassed, but it was like, okay, we can only go up from here. I mean, it's, it just doesn't matter anymore. I'm going to get up. I'm going to take my bow. I'm going to move on. And, you know, there's, there's this place where you go, okay, I, I can do anything. Mm -hmm. It's such an interesting conversation to have. I mean, when we look at what the development is and we, you know, cause we see it in business and, and I've experienced it personally myself, of course, is that what drives us is, uh, what is it? Pain and embarrassment or something. There's like those two things uh, the, there's the pain of embarrassment. There's the pain of judgment. And that stops people from trying things. It actually shuts people down from going beyond because of the embarrassment of the judgment that they think, you know, that people are having of them. And this is a level of it's interesting. I've, I, I think I've, I've already I've always known this. I just haven't articulated it. But that is such amazing training for life, you know, isn't it? It is. Actually, even bringing up the word judgment, you know, it, it is a judged sport. It is a judged sport. Um, yeah. You know, and, and it's one of the few places, you know, in today's world where I get where we're in a place where it's like, well, it doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter how you show up. And I, I understand, there, you know, the inclusion piece. But in figure skating, there really is a protocol around how to show up, how to look, how to make your body create art in real time. Mm -hmm. And when you can get past the judgment piece of it and realize that I'm going for quality, I'm going for excellence. Like I often tell skaters, you know, it doesn't matter if the judge likes your performance. It doesn't matter what the audience thinks of it. It matters the quality you put out there. Mm -hmm. It matters how, how committed you are to your own excellence and your own growth. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's always going to be subjective. There's going to be someone who doesn't like that music or likes this costume, but when when quality is put forth, it's it's recognized. It's like, yeah, maybe that's not my style, but wow, they did a really good job at that. Mm -hmm. And it gives people, um, especially young people, a way to detach from it being strictly personal. It's like judge the art I'm putting out there and not me, the person. It's a little bit of a, a detachment layer, but it gives them that strength to keep coming back and putting out their art in real time. There's a, it, I, it, it just came up for me, so I'll say it, is that there's a, a thought process out there, and I don't know who said this. I cannot give this quote to somebody because I've lost who it is. But in the world of judgment, right, it's not, we're not who we think we are, and we're not who somebody else thinks we are. We're actually who we think others think that we are. And it's it's a it's a real mind screw in terms of how we look at the world and the training that we go through. And I don't know why that came up, but anyways, I'll I'll I'll, I'll move on. So this is interesting because you were as a choreographer, skaters, and this is this is we're not talking about skating here. You know, this is just a thing called uh, you know it's it's a catalyst or it's a it's a subject matter that speaks to many things. And so when we look at skaters, you know, we have skaters who are physically doing amazing things. We have 
uh, skaters who have to be artists on the ice. They have to act while they're going through this physicalness and going through these programs. So there's a lot of things going on in that skater's brain in the, you know, the short program that they put together. It's happening in nanoseconds and, you know, edges and all the things that are happening. So your job as a choreographer in its most basic form is to help them create that artistic movement around the ice and uh, to the music that they choose and so that they can express themselves and act and do all the things that they're going to do, the performance. But for you, and that's a choreographer, but for you, there's there's another level of it that you bring to it, especially with the kids. Now, you've worked with world-class athletes, but let's go back to the kids because you are driven by supporting these young kids and whether they stay skating or not, I know you're not attached to it. It's really about the impact you have on these kids. You've actually broke down how they learn and you've really dug into that. I remember you sharing with me about learning styles. So let's talk about how you work with kids and learning styles. I think it's an interesting topic and and parents are listening to this. So give me some insights into what you've learned about kids because you've worked with thousands of them now. Yeah, it's 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 an honor every single time because every person really is unique. So learning styles became something I pulled out of the psychology realm because I learned about it in theory in uh, my university time and all that studying I did. And I, I really wanted to apply it in real time with people. And when people learn, they have a, a way that is innate to them, a, a more natural way of learning. And it's very easy for that to be covered up by just trying to go along and get along with everyone around and, and just learn how we're, quote, I'm using air quotes, supposed to be learning. <laughs> yeah. And then it actually gets in the way of them having a clear uh, communication into their brain and into their body. And so I think the thing that really pushed me to get into this was the fact that I'm actually usually have almost no time to get something out of somebody. So I'm hired for, let's say, an hour. I can't end that hour and have nothing created. I mean, it's called you don't get paid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, it was a real necessity to go, okay, well, I have to meet someone that's normally like nine years old. And by the end of that hour, I better have produced something right now in real time that their parents sitting at the other end of the ice can see or their coach can see. So when I started thinking about how is this person processing Instead of me teaching one way, I started to open up and go, all right, let me first discover how the student processes. Because if I can get to that, I call it the learning superhighway. It's like instead of walking, now we're flying. And I'm, I'm telling you, this has been a gateway to the client's experience because a skater who has someone who's going to twist their teaching style into their learning superhighway, it's magic. And, you know, whether um, a skater is really, really visual. You mm-hmm. know, some people are off the charts visual. Some people are very, very spatial. Some people, basically, you can talk to them all day long. They're not hearing anything because they're not auditory at all. Myself, I'm very auditory. I, you know, it's it's massive for me to to hear somebody explain something. But once I tapped into that and watching it and getting more refined with it and then empowering the athlete to know what to ask for themselves, it's it's like a transformation happens. And of course, confidence goes up. 
Because mm. now they go, wow, I, I, you know, it's not that I wasn't creative. I just didn't know what they were talking about, or I just couldn't understand how to get it into my own body. So I've really studied it in depth. And, you know, it's a fun thing at home, if you're listening right now, just to slow down and think to yourself, how does my child learn? What, what works for them? And if you are willing to figure that out, I am telling you, it's a game changer because we, none of us appreciate trying to be forced to learn something in a way that doesn't work for us, but we're so conditioned to have to be malleable and try to keep up with what's happening that we don't know what to ask for. So I guess there's a part of it that first, you know, uh, our, I guess would it, would it be fair to say our tendency as parents may be to, you know, whether we go auditory, visual, kinesthetic, we're going to, we're going to, without even maybe consciously thinking of it, we're actually going to apply what works for us and try and force that on our kids where, you know, we're wondering why our kids are disconnected. And it's really because we're not speaking into their I don't know what you call it, their way of learning or their the psychology of what works best for them in terms of their learning. It's up to us as parents to discover that and to be really conscious of it because that, to your point, you know, it turns that, you know, walkway into a superhighway, you know, it's, it, and, and the next thing you know, you're on the Audubon and you're flying, right? Is that uh, fair? Oh, absolutely. I actually, again, it's funny. I, I didn't realize in my mind how I've pulled things from real estate into figure skating, but the uh, Robert Kiyosaki put out a, a board game a long time ago, probably mid-90s, Cashflow yeah. 101. Yeah. And it's really fun. You learn a lot about real estate, but, but the visual of the board, if you're you know imagining the center, is kind of where everyone gets stuck in the rat race, right? Where they're just trying to pay bills and trying to figure things out. It's very sticky, as Stephanie, your wife, beautiful wife would say, sticky, stuck. Um, you know, you go forward, backward. It's very... Um, you're in it. Yeah, you're just in it, right? Yeah. It's like a mess. And then when you finally get some flow and some momentum, you get out onto the fast track. And that's exactly what it's like when you can punch in the code of the skater and the learner inside of them. So mm -hmm. I'll give you a great example. I had a young girl that I was working with and I had no idea how to get her to learn because she was all over the place, very touchy-feely, you know, this the feet wouldn't stay still, just just all over. And I would say, you know, let's do this. And she would go do the opposite thing. And it, again, I don't have the luxury if I want to make a living doing this of saying, well, you know, this is her problem. No, it's really my problem. And I have to figure out how she's going to learn. And almost by accident one day, I think I, you know, held her hand and we skated together. And all of a sudden, everything I was saying went in to the brain. All of a sudden, she could hear me differently. And that's when I realized she was so extremely kinesthetic that in fact, her brain wasn't processing the world until there was a physical component to it. And so that shift for her was an absolute breakthrough and her, her skating success just skyrocketed from there. So when you look at what you're doing in the skating world, now you took all of that, your love of the sport, your love of kids, and you said, okay, and you're wrapping a business around it, knowing that an understanding because of your business background and coaching and real estate that selling your time by the hour isn't the most effective way to, you know, create a, a, create wealth, number one. Number two, to really have the biggest impact and really change the world. So when you went into that skating world, it, because it was really built around a one-on-one -on -one kind of coaching. Now you've, you've taken that and to your point, you know, you want to take it and put it on steroids. So you took old traditional hundred year old sport 
And you kind of started to turn it on its ear a little bit, at least to the degree you can have impact. And that was to say, no, we're going to do master classes. We're going to do group coaching. We're going to have kids on the ice uh, learning together based on a, what would normally be a singles sport, if you will. So then they're amongst their peers, they're having to be creative, they're having to, they're also a benchmark. When you got a bunch of 13-year-olds-ish, you know, let's say 12 to 15 or 11 to 14, whatever that age category is, when they're all skating together, they're seeing where they sit in the benchmark of what's going on. Well, gosh, if they can do it, I can do it, that kind of thing. What's your thoughts? Give me a little bit of background on the masterclass concept and working with kids in this particular environment. I love it. Thanks. Thanks for asking that. I think, um, you know, this, this concept is one of the coolest things that I've ever come across. And it, it was born partially out of my obsession with efficiency. I really get annoyed when things aren't efficient <laughs> and in business, in life, and especially when I want results for people. And that's what this whole thing is about is getting a client, their results and on their time. And when you can fast track it to the learning conversation, you get to create a way better experience for that athlete. And after working with thousands of skaters, I realized, oh, I can chunk this down into seven hours, into four hours, into three hours. It doesn't have to be six months. It doesn't have to be eight months. And so when um, we created Skating Success, it was like, all right, what is the best possible way to teach this? How do I bring the concept forward for an athlete? And like you say, in a supportive environment, in a place where they feel comfortable, they, they can be open to their learning and then bake it in, in a way that they get the value, the information, but in a much more concise, direct way and led through the process in a way that sticks in their, their bones, right? Sticks in their body. And I've been fascinated by it. I've been extremely amazed by the results. There's never been, we've done over a hundred in-person masterclasses and tons of stuff online now. And there's never been a non-transformational day. So let's just talk about a couple things that are popping into my mind. Number one, what you said is that, you know, what would take seven or eight, I think you said hours. I don't remember now. Did you say hours or sessions, whatever language we used, and then you condensed it. The mm -hmm. point is, is that this goes back to traditionally taking something that is as many years old as that figure skating world is Linear thinking is what I heard while you were describing that and actually turning that whole linear thought process on its ear because A plus B equals C. I, you know, I'm going to give you a really cool example. You know, we water skied. We grew up. I got great at water skiing. It's one of the few things that I could actually say I was very good at. And I love to teach people to ski. Mm. And traditionally, you know, you would start people on two skis. You know, you'd throw them in the water. You'd throw them a rope, you know, bend your knees, let the boat pull you up, all the stories that you have around it. And we once had a young man, a friend of ours, who is a character on his own. And so he wants to learn how to ski. And I don't know, we're probably 25. And uh, so we throw the rope in the water. We throw him in the water. We throw him two skis. And uh, he goes, how come you're throwing me two skis? We go, well, you're going to start on two skis. Well, I don't want to start on two skis. You guys ski on one ski. Why can't I ski on one ski? I want to ski on one ski. I, I love go, it. I go, no, you got to start, dude, you got to start on two skis. Get that it uh and he says, no, I don't. I don't think I do. Give me one ski. Teach me how to come out. If you're such a, <laughs> we'll forget the colorful language, but you know, if you're so great at coaching and teaching people how to ski, then get me up on one ski. 
Well, what's funny about that story is like three tugs later, he's up on one ski wow. and the rest of the weekend he's skiing on one ski. Well, guess what that did for us? It totally shifted how we actually were teaching people. And we didn't, it wasn't a business for us. It was just that we took a lot of pride in, in uh, you know, supporting people to do, to ski because it was a thing, right? And so it was like, oh, holy cow, talk about shortening the learning curve, right? The linear thought process that we had. So anyways, that's what you've done by the sounds of it with the master classes, and actually have improved on it because in that environment with other kids, you've also got a scenario where people are seeing that benchmark. So he, our buddy, actually watched us ski. We set the benchmark. He said, well, hell, if you guys can do it, I can do it. Like, what's the big deal? That was his attitude. I love it. And so really you're in that scenario where you've got kids on the ice. They're going, oh, if that, you know, that over there, if that girl can do it or that guy can do it, I can do it. Right. Thought process. A hundred percent. And, and when you bring people together in a supported and supportive environment and open the energy, there is magic and energy and synergy and sharing in, in that in, in the exchange. I mean, why do people go to a, a music concert versus just sitting and listening to it on their own? Because it's an experience. And mm. that happens because energy begets energy and there's a feeling and there's a wave and you can actually feel it in your cells. I mean, when people talk, ask anyone, what's your favorite concert? And they're in it again. They'll bring you right back to that moment. Yeah. And this music was pounding and there was a light show and they're physically moving because your body feels your experience and records it inside of you. And when you actually bring that kind of intensity into the body while the person's learning, it maps in the body in a totally different way. I've seen it again and again. It's incredible and it's inspirational. Um, the one thing I wanted to add to this too is we were really, really conscious of bringing the coaches in. So the mm. biggest switch we made in sure. skating success and we, and I like, I will not have an event that coaches are not welcome to come to period. They're always welcome and encouraged to be part of the environment because when we work as a team, when we support each other, I call it the coach's circle. It's the Facebook group we've created and all that kind of stuff. But when there's a coach's circle and you're part of a support network on top of then trying to empower the athletes, it's exponential. The results are exponential. It's amazing. Well, it's interesting about um, all sport. I, there's a couple things that you know show up for me in that Number one is that in all sports, especially because, you know, all sports have been around forever. They've been around a long time. In this case, we're using figure skating as our kind of analogy of for, you know, life really. But, you know, there is, you know, you've taken something and what's interesting about this is that you've had to work against the ego of a lot of what shows up as ego with a lot of coaches. I mean, cause there's coaches out there. Do you realize what I've achieved? You know what I've done? I've been to world championships. I've been to Olympics. I've been, you know, whatever they've achieved. So you got a lot of ego that's going, why the hell would I change what I do? So you've had to open up a door and create a space for coaches to show up and be supported and not feel intimidated or made wrong for all the things that they're doing. Now that takes a certain attitude of coaches showing up. So you can only create the space for those coaches to show up, for a coach to show up. They actually have to be willing or be able to see that there may be a better way, a different way, a more efficient way, a more effective way, because that translates for them to their students. Mm -hmm. So 
what do you do with, do you bother trying to convince coaches that they should do this or do you just create the space and if somebody shows up, they show up? Like, how, what's your thought? Because I keep thinking about how you can't force the river around attitude of anybody. I mean, we're talking about coaches right now, but it could be it could be anybody. You can't convince anybody of anything. We're seeing that, and I know this is really off track, but you look at what's happening in the world of COVID and the divisiveness and the vax, anti-vax, uh, conspiracy theory, not conspiracy theory, or, you know, Omicron and COVID and ICU and no ICU. Like, it's so divisive, mm-hmm. and there's no point in... You see these battles going on, raging on, and it's like, okay, there's no point. I'm not going to, there's no point in trying to convince anybody of anything. So mm-hmm. that's kind of off track to an extreme, but it really is part of what we face even in the businesses that we're creating, or in this case that you're creating. And and so how do you deal with that? Is there, Or do you? What's your, do you have a philosophy around it? Yeah, I do actually. Um, being a business owner and being willing to be an entrepreneur is about, and it's funny, I just came up with this in late 2021, so like last month, but my new line is, you're always invited, but never expected. Mm. And really, that's what happens when you, or you, if I was a store, if I sold shoes and I had a brick and mortar store and I opened the door, everyone's invited, but no one's expected. And mm. so if you want to walk in the door, you are welcome here. Come on in. Let's go. And that's what I've done with skating coaches. And yeah, there are people that walk by the store and say, that's so stupid. I already have shoes. Mm-hmm. I've already had shoes my whole life. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, that's cool. Like, yeah. that's I'm not going to run out of the store, like to go back to an old Jim Rohn thing, like running off the field and, you know, chasing the person who doesn't care. I'm not going to do that. But I will host events. I will host a space. I will always create a space. And I've had skeptical people walk in with their arms folded and say, yeah, why are your shoes so great? Show mm-hmm. me your shoes. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. Great. Awesome. Let's talk about it. It's a conversation. And by the way, I'm not saying that the shoes are better in here. I'm not saying that I know everything about figure skating. That's not the point of skating success. The point is I'm going to hold a space that's bigger than all of us. Bring your expertise. You come in and tell me about how you do it. Awesome. And then I'll add what I do. Or we'll both battle it out because then we'll get to an even better collaborative thing for the skater in front of us, which is the whole freaking point. The other thing is I watched it. I was, you know, in environments as a young athlete and watched the egos fly and the drama the, the skating coaches created between them. And I watched the destruction of the trading environment because of that stuff. And I'm a stand that that's not the only way. This is so, I think, important, you know, because we talk about it within the Real Estate Investment Network, within Rain. We talk about culture, we talk about environment, we talk about community. And those three things are huge for the success in anything we do. And, you know, we see it with real estate investors within the rain community, for example, we try and create an environment that number one is we try not to judge anybody on their journey of their learning to be a real estate investor. The culture is of a community that support each other. And it's so important to for anybody, and and I th- and even if you're listening to this and you've got a job, is what is the environment and the culture that you're in? You know, it's interesting. I had a so through COVID, my retail business in Edmonton. I had to close the store. With, you know, all the reasons that we had. You know, we had an economy shut down for a long time. I made a decision to shut down one of the locations, and uh, 
disappointed, but in hindsight, it turned out to be a good thing. But the reason I share that story is only because just recently I had a conversation with the team and I said, guys, you know, I'm, I don't work in the business. I don't even have a key to my store. You know, it, this business is about you guys and it's up to you to create the environment. It's up to you to have the culture. It's up to you to create the space for people to show up. And, and I'm talking about our team in this case, you know, attracting the right people. So we have to hire some, some people. And one of my guys said, you know, Patrick, I got to tell you this, is that we've got four part-timers that as soon as we said we're looking for another guy, they texted their friends and to me, that's a statement wow. of, and he says, we've got like nine resumes oh. of buddies that, you know, from the part-time staff, because they said, you want to come and work here because it's fun and we get to be contribution and we get to do what the, you know, so the whole story is, is that, you know, look at the difference in that, right? It was like, holy cow, you know, that's a cool statement. Now, Tristan, in this case, you know, but all of the guys, you know, my three main guys in that particular location all said, that's what we've been working on doing. And do they do a great job all the time? Of course not, but they're very, very conscious and aware of it. And I went, oh, that's really cool that they get it, you know, because we've talked about it many, many times. So what you're doing in the case of your masterclasses with skating success, you're creating an environment that the kids can show up, that coaches can show up, uh, I love your analogy with your the shoe, uh, which is uh, I've got some great shoes to try on if you want, yeah. right? <laughs> if you already got shoes and you think, no, I don't need new shoes, then that's okay. Yeah, it's totally okay. And, you know, one of the things I'm very conscious about, which I do think is different from the old version of skating, is the brand. I know, I know people don't think of themselves as a brand, but they are. I mean... I can think of a coach in particular that I've known for over 30 years and her brand is I'm a bitch. Mm. That's her brand. It's don't talk to me. Don't look at me the wrong way. It, don't even stand too close to me. And it's fascinating to watch her perpetuate this. Well, <laughs> she, she must produce results. She's attracting students. Yep, yep, yep. But she's traditional. She's selling her time by she's the hour. She's doing her thing. And that's not wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's just what is the brand I'm going to be? Yeah, making and, a call around that. Yeah, making a call around what what does it mean? And for me, you know, watching the world as it is, I'm aware that the on, only touch point I might have with somebody is something I don't see. For example, someone in South America may be trying out figure skating and they Google skating and they find the brand mm -hmm. and what's their experience with it. So mm -hmm. I want the feeling of even the logo, every Instagram post, every every time we have a, a touch point, something like this, someone will listen to this podcast. I may never meet them in person, but what's their feeling around the inclusivity of the environment and the support around skating success? And what is the possibility of that through the brand? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to go off on a little bit of a, a different kind of rabbit hole here. It's not a rabbit hole. I think it's important to have the conversation. I, I find it interesting. Now, you're you're a very gifted individual. Like, you've got a lot of cool gifts that you've discovered around your creativity, around your ability to dance, and but you're in the figure skating world, yet you didn't compete. I don't think you competed that long in figure skating, but I don't remember. I know you competed, but I don't, like... Give us a little bit of background on on that because you're in you're into it. You never competed at a world class level, for example. You weren't a world competitor, but you took what your parents had you registered in called skating, and you turned it into a business. You turned it into and then and then you got to take your gifts and really start to apply those gifts. So let's let's talk a little bit about that because uh, as 
you know, as frustrating as business is, you're still living your gift. You still get to be expressed, which is important for you. So give me a little bit of background into why don't we start? Why don't we start with kind of a little bit of your skating background? I want to go back further than that, but let's talk a little bit about your skating background. Yeah, it's uh, really interesting to think back. I did compete for 10 years Mm -hmm. um, in figure skating. And I think considering where I started with it, I went a lot further in it than I ever expected to Mm -hmm. on some level, but I did learn a big, a big lesson. I always said that my main goal was to become a national competitor. So to go to nationals. Right. And I just said that in my journaling and in my mind and to my coaches and it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, well, I really screwed up this goal setting thing. This is so ridiculous. Like, how did I miss this mark? And then I ended up being a choreographer kind of accidentally. That's a whole nother story. And the first year I'm a choreographer, I get asked by a client, I need you to come to nationals with me. I mean, this is unheard of. I, I had been doing it less than a year. And I, I, it's almost like I looked at the universe and went, are you kidding me? Are you freaking kidding? And then I realized, oh, I didn't explain. I want to go to nationals as a skater and skate there. So the universe is like, oh yeah, no, we got you. Like we got, okay, we'll, we'll make it happen. It's so funny. So when that's the thing about goal setting is like maybe be a little bit more specific of what your participation and your piece yeah what maybe you want it to be maybe. but it was kind of a funny thing to well, happen but i think it's you know there's a lot in that i love that story that's <laughs> so so interesting and, and sometimes people forget you know it's you know, maybe they don't recognize that you know the goal didn't look the way they wanted but the outcome is still you know a version of what that goal was and in your case i mean you got to go and compete at a national level with a with a skater as a choreographer, well, that also was was that was that kind of was that your launching pad for getting into choreography in a bigger way? Was the, I mean, it had to give you some kind of or some level of confidence. It, yeah, it did. But it's funny because what I realized in that moment at the same time was that pushing hard on a goal is not really the way to get it. It's like, again, invite it in. You know, standing there realizing, okay, this is something that I can contribute was way more important than me making it about me. And so, you know, being there for that athlete and supporting their success really probably was the kernel to the business later on being skating success. Mm-hmm. It's choreography is a bit of a fickle business. I'm not going to lie to you. It's like, you know, being any kind of artist that you want to get paid for what you do. People have opinions and subjectivity and drama around it. And mm-hmm. so I've actually worked really hard to create a, a business structure that's not just dependent on being the flavor of the month, so to speak, because that's that can be pretty disheartening. Well, yeah, I mean, you look at when you talk about artists, I mean, it's easy to go to the music industry and think about, you know, how many and, and the starving artist doesn't just apply to, you know, painters or sketch artists or singers. It also applies to, in your case, uh, choreography, you know, like there because there's a lot of artistry. I mean, you're actually designing choreography specifically for in this case skaters do you go do you work outside of that is there another sport where you what else would you use Uh, maybe gymnastics do you have you ever played into that game or worked with dancers on their program well i have actually i used to work with rhythmic gymnasts and um and their performance level and you know their um their artistry but also their mentality right the mental performance coaching that i do based on the psychology degree and then a lifelong obsession with how to help people have the best mental experience with sport and not go down the dark, you know, paths of being really hard on themselves. Um, and that, that's a whole nother conversation, but I, I went through my own journey around perfectionism and, um, that's, you know, 
if I can do anything for other people is to help them with that. But um, what, oh, well, let's let's not step over that. What was your what was your lessons around perfectionism? What what did what showed up for you in that? What was that? Because we all know that there's no such thing as perfect. That's our view of ourself. Uh, perfectionism is driven by what we think is the view of others. I think. Anyways, what was your journey though? Well, it's funny that you say that we all know there's no such thing as perfect. Well, I didn't find that out until I was like 30. So <laughs> yeah, I was very, I'll be really frank with you. I was extremely hard on myself. Like mm. I, it was, it was a deep, intense way. I mean, if someone, if, if you asked me to run 10 miles, I'd figure out how to do it twice a day. Mm. It was like, I was driven. I remember being four years old, probably, um, in, in ballet classes, which is kind of funny. I started at two. Um, and, and then I would take what I learned in the ballet class and I would literally make myself do the movement perfectly. But my, my whole thing, I don't know how I came up with this. This is embarrassing. Hopefully someone out there can relate by listening to this. It'll hopefully serve somebody. But my thing was I have to do it perfectly all the way to my bedroom, like point my toes and walk perfectly. And if I screwed up, I would go right back to the beginning of the hallway and make myself do it again. I mean, like this is like training myself neurotically at four or five years old. And I mean, yes, there's a benefit because now I'm like, you know, if I'm working on an email or something, it just seems so relaxed comparatively. But yeah, I was really, really driven to make perfect movement and stuff like that. And I think that there was part of it that was proving myself trying to make sure I was loved through some type of, you know, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm contributing to this family in this way or this, you know, experience, then I'm going to be loved. And that's kind of a deeper thing. But once I eventually started to realize that hurting myself to get there wasn't actually the answer, then I could use the good side of it and the driven side without, without hurting. When did you notice, do you think, now you can go back and reflect on what you were doing at, let's say four years old and, you know, in that, those early years, but when did the realization of perfection and it's this, the destructive side of that equation, and I don't know, destructive might be a strong word, but let's just use it because I can't think of another word to use right now. When did, when did that, that side of it start to show up for you? Was there conditions? Like was something, did something happen? What, what do you think it was that you, or was it just all of these things happening and your frustration and, or your dissatisfaction, what got you to realize that perfectionism was not the healthy thing to do? Such a great question. Um, I had a realization at 18 because I started working with a new coach one summer. And I, I think looking back on it, the reason I didn't catch it earlier is normally when people teach someone it, this is a a great thing, right? You have a a skater that's willing to do it a hundred times instead of four. I mean, you know, coaches just loved that about me. So it perpetuated it. It, you know, it fed into the sport that I was in. And so I didn't get to it until 18 when I was working with a new coach and she pulled me aside one day and was like, you know, you're really good at this. And I was trying to explain to her, no, I'm not. I'm really bad because I'm not perfect like this and perfect. And she was like, no, you're not getting it. You're really good at this and you're being really mean to yourself and I can see what you're doing. She really called me on it. Mm -mm. And then she said, you're going to have to fake it for a while. Like you've been doing this so long to yourself. You're going to have to pretend you love yourself and 
pretend and be nice to yourself and it's going to feel fake for a while and you're going to have to work on it. And it was the beginning of the journey. It took a lot of other processes um, and, and years of unwinding it. But that was the first person to really call me on it. Wow, it's interesting. It's like cut yourself some slack. And I think at some level, you know, most, many people go through that. I think probably I did too. I, I don't have necessarily a story around it, but I do have a memory of it, at least at some level. But tell me a little bit, do you still know that coach? Like, well, not that you don't know her anymore. Do you still have contact with that coach? Does that coach know the story? Does she, about the impact you had on her or she had on your life? Okay, get ready for the full circle awesomeness. Okay. So years later, I become a choreographer. I'm doing all the stuff. I've been to nationals, all the things. And I end up doing a masterclass at the club that she's coaching at. And she's the only coach that comes and attends and wants to learn what I'm doing. <laughs> And I, in front of all the athletes that she's coaching, I'm able to call her out and say, did you guys know that this is my experience? And I'm only probably standing here because of this woman. Wow. And like I was able to honor her, to thank her and publicly do it in a way, you know, that gave her some legacy as well, because I think that's really important with her athletes to see, like, look what happens when you, when you work with someone that believes in you and cares about you beyond just the result. And so, yeah, I'm emotional thinking about it because I have thanked her in person many times, but that was the beginning of it. That's such a cool story. Now, when you look at uh, what you're doing today and the impact that you try and have on kids, you're also trying to have an impact on parents. And is that a fair statement? Because in, in my view of the world, because, you know, of course, my relationship to sport is not at that level. It's, you know, different or, but I, I certainly have observed Stephanie a lot over the years, of course, and, and her and I working together many years in the sport. We see the challenges and that are created for kids by their parents. Now, are you, do you find yourself also working with parents in that case? Are you able to make a difference that way? I'm actually really passionate about it. Like, mm. I think the the parent is the key. You know, I, I've given a lot of thought to how to talk to parents and try to get them to see what they're doing as very important. Because a lot of times parents will say, well, you know, I need to learn the sport. I need to learn the, the axle. I need to learn how to train them at home. And I, I do get that they're trying to be involved and all that. But what I, what I say to them is what you're doing is actually the most important thing. A, an athlete being well-fed, well-rested, loved, in a safe environment, um, connected, uh, part of a contribution of the family, that's a healthy person that I can then train. Don't, like, you don't have to worry about all the skating pieces. But I have had the opportunity to work with athletes in moments when they weren't in a safe environment or they they hadn't eaten or they weren't, they know, they're stressed out because of family events. And you actually can't teach them anything. They're, they're stuck in that stress, that flight or flight, the trauma of it. And so it's been really important to me to relay that to parents, give them the power back, often give them a pat on the back that they never get from anyone else mm -hmm. and just say, you know, you're the most important part of the team. And the thing I like to leave them with always is you are your child's advocate. They, you know, I'm a coach, I'm going to come and go. A teacher's going to come and go because of the nature of life and moving on and all those things. But you are their advocate. And so look at their life as a whole picture and them as a whole person and make those decisions with them. 
and you will have amazing success and relationship with your kid. It's interesting that we, you know, sometimes see it, you know, as because we we're outside looking in and, and it, this goes back to what we just talked about, which was, you know, environment and parents are responsible and need to create the environment for their kids to succeed in sport. They sometimes go overboard going, well, I'll spend a lot of money and buy them the best of everything and do all the rest of that. And that's, and that's, that's, you know, sure that's helpful to the degree it's helpful, but it's, it's more important to create that environment, the relationship you have with them, driving them to and from the sport, in this case, the arena, to your point, making sure that they're well-fed, their nutrition is right there and that their self-esteem is, is managed given the judgment of the sport. I mean, that's got to be hard on kids. What's what, Tell me a little bit about what you've noticed around even kids and, and the fact that they've got people looking at them all the time going, this was not good or your choreography sucked or you, you know, you fell too many times. That's also part of the training, is it? Yeah. Well, it's funny though, because or do kids or kids when they're growing up they don't just they just don't give a shit. Well, they become really resilient, and that's actually one of the things I'm the, the most proud of in this sport that I get to work in is that, you know, we're talking tough ten year old girls, <laughs> like mm-hmm. oftentimes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, these, you know, actually took this. Yeah, is, yeah, they got a kick out to the curb, right? Like I, you know, the place that I was always shocked was when I would come into the business realm and talk to like. Like not to offend anyone, but I would talk to, let's say, a 55-year-old man and I would say something and he'd be like all offended and upset like instantly. And I'm going, come to the rink and like the 10-year-old girl will kick your butt. Like she <laughs> she is literally, I mean, I've had kids, I had a kid, here's a perfect example. You know, I walked in, into the rink and, and she was sitting with her hand underneath her chin. She'd split her chin open and, and it was bleeding. It was just gushing out of her. Mm-hmm. And she was so upset. And I thought, of course you're upset. It's bleeding. And no, she was like clenching her teeth. No, I have to miss dance class. I'm, I can't believe it. Like she was so angry that this interruption of stitches was stopping her schedule from her success. I mean, it was, it's unbelievable. And that's really the, men- the mentality and the mindset. So you're right. The resiliency that gets built up again, back to that ROI and the conversation with parents. Now, the one thing I do want to slip in here just really selfishly for parents the one trap that you can get caught in is counting the dollars and then making the child responsible for those dollars. And guess what? It's not their money. That's like investing in a property and then blaming the person who sold you the property. You, you know, this the thing that parents and people, all of us have to take responsibility for, if we're going to invest money in a skating experience or something like that, Never make a child responsible for the money that you're spending and how you're doing it. That's up well, to you. So in other words, if if you spend a bunch of money and they don't get good at it or they want to quit after a year, like give me an example of what you mean by that. Well, it's the, it's the choice of the parent because the, the kid cannot make the parent spend their money. Okay, got it. So right? The, so, well, yeah, well, but yeah, but some kids go, no, dad, I want to skate. Well, yeah, you know. great. But you still have to be responsible. The parent is writing the check, mm-hmm. Right. It's like if 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 the parent, let's say, gambles money at, and runs out of money to pay for the food, mm. that's not anyone else's problem. And so I always try to get them to separate that and never have a really a money conversation. You can have a responsibility conversation with your kid, an effort conversation, but to tell them, I've spent all this money and where's the medal? Got it. That That is irrelevant. The two things 
You can't make someone else responsible for how you've spent your money. Got it. Okay. Well, that makes sense though. So what you're saying is, is don't connect. Well, you said it, don't connect the money to the sport in terms of what they're doing for the kid. You yeah. know, I, yeah. Like I spent all this money. You better show up. You better blah, blah, blah. Don't make it about that. Don't make it about the money. Yes. You need to show up. So it's, but it's not yeah. because I invested the money. It's because you committed to this stick with your commitment. Yeah. And, and, and if you don't want to spend the money, then don't spend the money. Mm -hmm. Like I've told parents that too. Like if you're, if this is too much for your household budget, you decide mm -hmm. like no one can do that piece for you. Mm -hmm. You decide on that, but, but separate it from the responsibility of the child. Interesting. So then there's the other side of that where we've seen as well, parents who maybe had a background in, in, in the sport and, where they then, you know, we see it a lot in hockey, right? Where hockey dads, you know, hockey dads are going, when I was a kid, when I did it, we did it this way. And and we have those stories. Do you get that kind of same scenario in uh, skating? Probably not as much, right? Not as much. And, you know, the relationship with the client is something I am very aware of. And I really look at it as a business point of view, a business transaction, and also, I want to create an awesome environment for my client, both the parent and the skater. So I'm very aware. Like, I've, lot, I've seen a lot of coaches sort of get into this place where they don't really want to talk to the parent. They almost want to avoid conversations and so on. And for me, it's always been the opposite. Let's be really transparent. Let's sit down. Let's have a meeting. Let's set this up. This is what you can expect. This is what you, you, know, you should, probably shouldn't expect. Let's talk it through. I want to be your resource. So mm -hmm. that you feel very confident in the fact that, A, the communication is open, B, this is what I'm doing with your athlete right now and why, mm -hmm. and C, I, this is a key thing as well that I always tell parents, I, I guarantee them that if they need to know something, I will tell them. Like, if your kid comes to the rink and they tell me something that I think is inappropriate or they tell me something that's really deep in their psyche that you need to know about, like, I, it, it will happen. And so they can rest assured that I'm looking out for their kid in a much broader sense than just making sure that they win a competition. Got it. So tell me a little bit about, I want to go back on, on what, you know, you said earlier, you know, you started, you know, you got into ballet at two. So give me a little bit about your, what you learned about how you were raised with your parents, were they kind of magical about things? How were they in terms of supporting you? Is How much of what your parents and how they kind of worked with you did, do you bring forward? You know, whether it be the lessons of don't do that with your kids or <laughs> the lessons of my, you know, my parents were awesome at this. Wow. Well, I got really lucky in the parent department. <laughs> I mean, my parents had a really cool context of um, of being willing and allowing me to do whatever I wanted to try to do and then really supporting me, really backing me up around it. And actually, funny enough, back to the money piece, I never once heard my parents say, I can't afford it. Mm -hmm. They always said, oh, well, let's figure out how to do that. And so mm -hmm. they were consciously or unconsciously creating an environment where it was always like, well, how can we do it? How can we create this? How can we make it happen? And... um the other thing I got lucked out with was by the time I came along, they had been raising Arabian horses for almost 20 years. And so they understood very expensive judge sport. Yes. <laughs> that, that, you know, that no outcome is, is guaranteed. I mean, it's so funny to think about it that way, but 
yeah, when it came to skating, A, it seemed kind of inexpensive compared to the horse business. <laughs> so I got lucky with that. And then secondarily, they're like, yeah, of course, that horse just didn't win today because the judges didn't think so. So it was, I got a really cool built-in awareness on their part that I couldn't have, I couldn't have, uh, you know, created. So, so what did they do different? Like, because, you know, so you started, you know, you got into ballet when you were two, uh, you know, when you have conversations with your mom and dad, like, why did they throw you in ballet? Was it because you were dancing around the house or what, what drove that initial let's get her in ballet? Why didn't they get you into, I don't know, handball, you know, <laughs> like what, well, other than you were two, but you know, what, what, kind of got you, what got them to get you into that? Any stories around that? Yeah, I think it was a magical happenstance because I actually was in a preschool. So my parents both worked full time and um, I was put into a preschool that was like a full day of school, even at like two and a half, three. And it was a, a very cool place. We did French, we did English, we did math, we did all this neat stuff. And ballet was just part of the curriculum. So they, you know, just lucked out. And I lucked out because walking into that studio and just falling in love with it was something that happened. I mean, there is a funny story around being in Mexico also, like traveling as a family and us going out for dinner and my parents losing track of me at a very young age, just same similar age, two or something like this. And then, you know, them worried, you know, they're in a foreign country. Where the heck did our kid go? We don't speak the language. And then the server coming up and going, no, no, don't stress. Come over to the band. She's dancing in front of the band. And, you know, and the, I, yeah, I had yeah. I had taken it upon myself to, to use the serviette like napkin as a, I don't know, some type of dancing tool. This is all a story that I've been only told, right? Right, right. Um, but basically entertaining everybody and being on stage naturally and just dancing to the music. So, I, I don't know how that all worked out, but it was like they just followed my flow. And mm -hmm. and then when I became obsessed and wanted to dance all the time, they said, okay, well, then we put you in the next class and, and keep supporting what you want to do. Well, now, something that you just said, kind of, I want to go back, because you speak uh, French fluently and Spanish fluently. Mm -hmm. And you do a pretty good job with English, obviously. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so how did that, now, why, why that? Why did you take that on? Was that just part of your upbringing? Like, how did you, cause I mean, speaking three languages, I mean, that's pretty rare. I mean, you hear stories of people speaking seven, but you know, three is like, even two is pretty cool. So how did that happen? Yeah, that was part of the same thing that, that, um, preschool was a lot of French involved and then I just loved it. And then my parents were like, okay, we, we lived outside of Beaumont, which is a small, um, getting, well, it's growing now, but it was a small town experience close to Edmonton, Alberta. And it's very French predominantly and had a great program. And so they were thinking, all right, this is going to give her an advantage academically, throw in the program. And I just, it just worked for me. And then I wanted to learn Spanish um, when I became a teenager. I was really interested in that language. And so I did that in high school as a second language. And then I really fell in love with it. I love how expressive it is. It's like, you know, you can just really dive into it. It's very juicy as a language. So now that's the expressive part of it, which then goes back to even how, that's really been your whole life is, is around expression and you've done it through dance. You did it in this case through language. Then you got to build a business around doing what you love to do. And there's a love for kids and, and having people or having these kids achieve some cool results. You've also had the opportunity to work with some world-class athletes. So that you didn't work with, they didn't grow up with you. So you're walking into this environment. I'm trying to think, was it Stars on Ice or something you did? What was it? What was that? You did that. 
I don't remember now. I, I know I can't it's remember. been a few years. Yeah. No, the Thank You Canada tour was the tour that I was working oh, right. on um, yeah. with Mary France de Bray, great yeah. friend. And uh, she said, hey, let's work on this together. And um, Sam Schwinard, also an amazing choreographer. Um, so the three of us created a, a little team and, and worked with, I mean, this was a, right after the Olympics. So 2018, yeah, right after the Olympics. Yeah. And so it was a, a tour with only world-class athletes and Olympians and mm-hmm. people like that. Um, but again, people are people, right? And so it, all of those same things apply around supporting people and seeing their the magic in them and, and giving them space. And we all, no matter how high we, we go in, in an exterior world, we all have an interior landscape that needs to be loved, nurtured, and pushed to be our best. And so, yeah, it was a really great experience. We had a lot of fun. Now, I have my own view of this, but it's actually not even a question I've ever asked Stephanie, who works with Olympic athletes every freaking day. But what's the difference between what do you see as a difference? So if you're giving a parent or some young person that might be listening to this some guidance, what's the difference between an Olympic class or world class athlete in terms of how they train, how they view the world, how they're coached? versus an amateur still trying to figure shit out. I mean, take the physicality out of it. Yeah, I love this question because I tell this to young skaters all the time. The better the athlete, the more successful, the more coachable they are. I have seen athletes at the top of their game, world champions, get on the ice and be told that their basic movement still needs to improve and they take it on as awesome coach, let's do it. How can I do that better? And, the, and then there's an eight-year-old that says, I already know how to do that. Right. And that is honestly, like being on that tour um, and surrounded by a whole group of people that were in that realm of like, literally they could say, I have this many medals and this much experience. That's not how they lead their, their practice. They lead with, all right, I'm here. I'm present. What do you see that I need to improve? What, how can I make that better? How can I get that better? And it was all of them. And it, it's just such a great reminder. If you want to be the best in the world, do not stop being the student. Well, that also boils down to, I, well, I think that my observation of that is that it's about coachability. Now, we talk about that. I've talked about that. Stephanie and I talk about that in our Mindset Matters segments of these podcasts, where coachability is, in fact, a thing. It's like, are you really coachable? To your point, you know, you talk to, you know, a, a world-class athlete, a coach says to them, blah, blah, blah. And they go, got it. And they go do it. They don't, they don't argue about it. Maybe they do. I don't know. Do they sometimes? Probably. Um, I mean. Discuss it. Yeah, it could be. It, they're curious, yeah, right? They're curious. They're interested. Sure. They want to know why they want to, they're, they're invested, but it's, it's really about them being more committed to getting good at the craft mm-hmm. than being right about it. You know, it's interesting is that um, we see this, you know, you know, this is about, you know, we talk about skating and sport and kids and all the rest of it, but we see it almost every day in the world of the real estate investment network. I mean, rain is really a coaching program at, mm-hmm. at its core, as much as we provide uh, research and we do the how to's and all the rest of it, it really is a coaching program. And, and the most successful members of our community are the most co- coachable people I've ever met. They have no freaking, they're just not attached to, if they phone, they actually ask for help, number one. You know, they, they're not shy about asking for help. They've got no ego around it. As a matter of fact, they're going, well, that's stupid. Why wouldn't I ask for help? 
it's right there. But so do you think that with athletes, um, this just isn't, for me, it's always an interesting conversation, the psychology of it and, you know, the ability to, to teach our kids perhaps how to be coachable, how to ask for help, how to, how to take coaching, not as criticism, but as we want to make you better. I mean, you're a coach, mm -hmm. you're not there to insult anybody. Mm -hmm. You're not personally attacking somebody when you say, you know, pick your feet up or, you know, quit being so blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Right. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that, but give me some thoughts. Oh, I love it. Um, this is actually one of the core principles you're stumbling in on, on, on how I coach. And the bottom line is this, it is my job to line up with what the person wants to achieve. So I had a young athlete, perfect story for this, nine years old. And she had just won a competition. She comes back to the rink next day. She starts to do her warm up, and I try to slow her down. I said, Hey, could you do that again? Gives me the eyeballs, the rule, ugh, coach, mm. right? Total drama. And so I let her settle down for about 30 minutes. And then I came back to her and I said, all right, are you ready to learn now? And she's like, mm. I said, are you still mad at me? Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I said, Hey, I know why you like to skate. And she said, yeah. I said, you like to win. Like you really like to win. She's like, yeah, I do. I said, okay, so how about I promise you something? I promise you that as long as I coach you, I will never, ever, ever, ever ask you to do something that I don't think will help you win. And it's like our whole face changed. I said, I promise you, if, if I ask you to slow down and do that again, it's only, the only reason I'm asking you is because I think that exact movement will help you win. So aligning with her values opened up a whole new conversation. And we never had a problem again because she knew why I was asking. I wasn't just getting after her or getting on her case, like to your point, it's literally like, no, I'm assessing in my mind exactly the athlete you want to be because that's what you say. And I'll only ask you to do things that line up with that. Yeah, that's a, for me, believe it or not, what you just said is a bit of a mic drop because I don't care if you're 9, 19, 29, 49, that is such a, an interesting approach in helping somebody be open to coaching that where their, their own self-assessment or their own ego gets in the way of being made wrong or whatever story people have around that, or we all have, and I know I'm a people, I'm guilty of that. I'm not rising above it, but that's such an interesting uh, approach to that, uh, that coachability component, which is where people get in their own way all the time. And uh, you just shared we're a nine-year-old. That's great. Awesome. Well it, done. Thank you. It was awesome to see because she really is a special skater. She's still skating. And one of the areas I knew she could really excel was flexibility. And what I was going to have to ask her to do was going to be very painful, right? To get there, to, to get there, to, you know, like sit in the middle splits and mm -hmm. over splits and all that stuff. And again, it was once we had that context of, I will, ne I'm never not doing this to torture you. I'm not doing this to make you wrong. It's the opposite. Every mm -hmm. single thing is lined up with your, what you say you want to do and who she really is. Was really cool, but that's part of your gift too. And I want to just spend a little bit of time on it, and and I can talk about this. I find it quite interesting and fascinating, to be honest with you, because I, you know, working with kids or working with people in general. I mean, one of the things that is your gift, aside from your own physical ability, and you know, seeing music in your head and putting physicalness to it, and all of the things that that you're able to do, you're also able to see inherently in somebody what they're probably capable of. 
where they don't necessarily see it for themselves. Like you look at it and you go, you saw the flexibility in her and she probably didn't see it. And then you knew that there was gonna be some discomfort in breaking through that side of it, like any stretch. Mm -hmm. We stretch, there's always pain and stretch, right? They're all, <laughs> and that's a <laughs> metaphor for every aspect of what we do. So is, tell me a little bit about that. Is, there, is, there, is, it a, is it a picture in your mind or how does that evolve? Is it a gut feeling? What is it for you or is it just experience? How is it that you see a certain way for somebody to be physically to know what music would go with them given their body type or their personality? I don't know. Give, I don't know what I'm asking there, but I, I just find it all very interesting. Yeah, I'm glad you do because I think it's kind of a niche thing that, you know, people don't walk around and think about necessarily, but everybody has an internal rhythm. And that internal rhythm is actually something we're born with. And you, you know this, I'll give you an example and you're just going to laugh because you'll you'll get it immediately. So if you live with somebody and you know them and they come home and you're in a different room and you don't see them yet, but you hear them walk down the stairs or you hear them walk in or the way they close the door, you know who it is. Mm -hmm. You know who it is because mm -hmm. there's a rhythm. The way that they walk, it's, it's distinctive to them. They're not trying to do it that way. Mm -hmm. That's how they move. And so movement is very innate. And it's, it's a, if you watch an animal, it's example, you know, we watch a cheetah, it's not going to move like a parrot. So my job is always to find that natural innate rhythm that's uninterrupted by the mind because the mind gets in the way, right? The mind is like, oh, people are watching me. I should move like this, or I should do this, or I should be cool or all that. So it's to get past that and back to basics. And then that's actually that natural rhythm and that beat that I work with into the music, into the movement and pull from that. Because if you're really being yourself, your authentic, empowered self, you cannot go wrong and you'll never make a, a misstep. Well, you know, Jadine, this has been so fascinating and I could keep talking about this, but it is really, to me, it is, uh, all of this is a metaphor for life, a business, you know, in the context of seemingly ordinary individuals achieving extraordinary results, which you certainly are that person, but you're also seemingly, you know, ordinary helping others achieve extraordinary. I think that's a really cool kind of way of looking at the world and how you look at the world. Uh, is really, really interesting. So um, any, uh, I don't know, any parting uh, thought processes uh, as we wind down here? Profound choreography advice, you know, point your toe. I don't know. I, lo I love it. I think, you know, everyone's an artist and, you know, stop trying to find your art outside of yourself. I think people are really tripped up by that. Your art is in you. It's it's your own heartbeat. It's, it's your own feeling. It's, it's, it's why you're drawn to a certain color or why you love certain movies. And if mm. you allow yourself to tap into that a little bit more and trust it, there's stuff that will open up for you that you'll see and that will happen for you. It'll just make your daily life more fun and more, more rich. And I think, you know, I always say I want to live artfully. And to me, that means, you know, even the way I pour my coffee, I want it to feel um, intentional and artful. And when you live that way, you can really appreciate the day-to-day -day a lot more along the journey as well. Beautiful. Now, if people are hearing and go, I want to talk to this lady, is it, uh, where do they go? Skating success. I know you're an Instagram influencer, but what else you got going on? Where else should they go to your website, skatingsuccess.com? 
Yeah.com, skatingsuccess.com. Skating Success is the handle on Facebook and mm-hmm. on Instagram. I got in early on those things. So it's mm-hmm. all Skating Success, always one word, just and if you if you email, you know, skating success at gmail.com, that's me directly. You'll get me. But yeah, it's uh it's always about your skating success. That's really our tagline is what do you want it to be like? And that's where we want to be a resource for you. Beautiful. J.D. Ferreira, thank you so much for joining me on the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Such a great conversation. I could continue, but maybe uh, it's going to have to be uh, round two or something. So thanks very much for your time. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends as it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener. If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.